It's that time, the Betting Predators podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy Jay. You guys can find me on Twitter, SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined by the fantasy football guru, Chris Dell. You guys should know Chris a little bit by now. Chris and I ended up going through quarterbacks. We did some buy, we did some sell. And the majority of the uh, the conversation that we had was, you know, going ahead and looking at guys to go ahead and play, you know, pretty much primarily for the season. And then I, I kind of like, you know, we were, you know, kind of talking about, you know, whether we're going to go ahead and use guys on a weekly basis. And, and then we didn't really do a whole lot of buy and sell for a little while. We kind of just chopped it up with, you know, certain quarterbacks and what we thought that they may or may not do throughout the entire season. So we're kind of going to take a similar approach here with the running backs. Now, Chris updates his fantasy rankings, you know, every week. And we're going to end up doing a podcast where it'll be college football NFL fantasy because you have to get after some of the NFL fantasy stuff early and uh, hopefully we'll be able to achieve that with the college football and the NFL fantasy podcast. Now you guys can get Chris on Twitter at Matt Journalist and you can always find all his work. He writes a bunch of articles and stuff at thebettingpredators.com. So Chris, we end up talking quarterbacks and that was a pretty good podcast, kind of a little lengthy, but you know, we kind of needed that. I think, you know, between the both of us where we we actually got to sit down and talk football finally and look, kickoff's approaching. I mean, we only have, what, a couple of weeks left before the NFL go ahead and kick off. But we're going to go ahead and we'll start with some running backs. But, you know, after we went ahead and we did the quarterback podcast, how would you feel that you actually got to sit down and talk a little bit, you know, of NFL football? Yeah, it was good, Sleepy, and I'm happy to be back here to do running backs and just continue our kind of preseason fantasy strategy uh, podcast content. And yeah, you know, once you sit down and you actually hash it out and 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 just kind of get your thoughts on the table, going back, going back and forth between yourself and myself, and you kind of make some notes, you make some adjustments, and like you said, I'll I'll be updating the fantasy rankings on bettingpredators.com, the fantasy tiers. I'll be trying to up those probably a couple to- update those a couple times a week uh, until kickoff, really, because we're going to be getting heavy into draft season over these next few weeks. And I, I know my home league draft is coming up in a few weeks. I'm going to be doing a few. Um, I'm going to be f- doing a few FFPC drafts with some other people and analysts in the industry, and uh, just kind of just getting everything ready and, and raring to go for that. So it's it's uh, every, and I feel like every time you have a conversation you hear someone's perspective you kind of take it into your own and mix it with that and then you wind up maybe making an adjustment or two here or there on a certain player on a certain position on a certain tier so definitely uh w- was nice doing that and it honestly made me a little bit higher on the guy I was even higher on before which was Tyrod Taylor and the more we kind of talked about the Chargers offensive potential and you know I had him at QB 11 which is super high compared uh, to most people at the expert consensus which have him at QB 30. And uh, I'm, I'm really inching to put him in the top 10. So I might be making that change here coming up. And during the season on bettingpredators.com, we're going to be doing daily updates to rankings. So from starting from Sunday night, when the, when the week's over, we're going to be diving into new, new rankings for the upcoming week and then pretty much updating them up until kickoff every single day. So uh, stay tuned for that. And, uh, you know, I'm ready to get into it now. All right. So as we talked about in our first podcast, you know, pretty much as you will be updating your stuff, you know, you're going to be looking for the injuries you'll be looking for, you know, particular matchups. And that's one of the advantages that I think that our podcast has over a lot of podcasts is, you know, a lot of people don't mix in fantasy guys and and they handle, you know, they handle a whole separate area that the majority of, you know, sports handicappers and sports betters, they kind of don't. One, you know, we just don't have the time to do it. 
But at least if, if I can get an hour or a half hour out of you, you know, a week, and I know where to find your stuff and I know where to read it and you're easily accessible, you know, I can go ahead and be like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Let me hit Chris up. You know, let's do a podcast and be like, all right, nice. Now I'm, I'm kind of getting a whole hell of a lot more information. So I kind of wanted to mix the two together, you know, for our listeners, because they're going to get it from, you know, two different perspectives. They're going to get it from a handicapper. They're going to get it from a better. And they're going to get it from a guy who, you know, was diving into fantasy. And you could be like sleepy or wrong or sleepy. That, that, that makes a great, great point. You know, I thought about that. Very good. You know, keep it, whatever. And we, and we, we end up, you know, eventually being able to smooth stuff out. And I think it'll help us you know, with our listeners, you know, going ahead and making, you know, certain prop wagers and obviously building their fantasy lineups and daily fantasy, um, you know, for their football league. So with all that stuff out of the way, I want to go ahead and jump into running backs. Uh, let's talk some buy sell and then we'll, we'll kind of, you know, we'll, we'll roll through a number of other running backs that we have on our list here. But I want to know buy sell. Give me the first running back on your list that you're looking at buying this season. We're going to start and stop right near the top of the board. And, and most people have Saquon Barkley as the unanimous number two running back in all formats this year, whether you're playing half PPR, full PPR, or even standard, which I don't think many people are doing anymore these days. But I don't got Barkley number two, man. I, I got Dalvin Cook. He's my number two running back, and he's pretty. he's been pretty solid there for the last couple months. And the noise about uh, potential contract holdouts and negotiations, I never really let that waiver uh, from my stance on him because as long as he's there and even talks recently out of camp is saying that he's completely shelved the negotiations so it's looked it's looking like he's going to be motivated playing into a contract year and he's not going to be worried about missing any games you obviously see the kind of mistakes that running back running backs have made the last couple of years holding out and it hasn't really uh boded well for their future salaries and and also just for their health and kind of the ability to stay in their prime but Dalvin Cook's a running back who is in his prime right now. He's in a run-first offense with the Minnesota Vikings, but he's also going to wind up being maybe the number one or number two pass catcher in that offense as well. Obviously, you know the amount of targets I think we're talking about here, uh, potentially 80-plus targets vacated from the loss of Stephon Diggs going to Buffalo this offseason, and they don't really have any receivers to step up and take those targets away. I mean, Adam Thielen's obviously the number one guy there, and I know you know I'm talking about a wide receiver, but he but that directly impacts Dalvin Cook in the receiving game because Kirk Cousins is going to have to dump off a lot to Dalvin Cook because it's simply going to be one of the only pass catching options he has in that offense. I also want to throw in a few other points here, and one is that the Minnesota Vikings are going to be relying on a ton of rookies on the defensive side. I, I want to say uh, at least five or six of their draft picks uh, from this summer are going to be relied on to play key roles, whether it's starters or, or, or key reserve backup roles on defense. So in, in all in all essence, their defense is going to st- take a step back. And yeah, okay, that might, that might mean that they're not playing from ahead as much as they were before, but that's going to mean they're going to need to throw the ball more. Kirk Cousins is going to be looking deep. He's going to be looking to the slot and deep for Adam Thielen. But other than that, they got a couple, two, they got a couple of halfway decent tight ends in Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph. But Justin Jefferson reports out of camps is that he's not even ready to start as the number two receiver on this team. So you're looking at a hodgepodge of guys who are going to be filling in next to Thielen. And without Diggs on that team, they're going to need that that dynamic receiving threat from Cooks. So he's going to be a three down back. He's going to be featured heavily when they're leading in the ground game. And he's going to be featured heavily when they're trailing in the pass game. And frankly, you don't get too many running backs like that outside of Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley. And I just like the Vikings overall better as a team, better as an offensive line unit to where 
I'm buying Dalvin Cook as my number two overall running back, which is four spots higher than expert consensus ECR, which is RB6 at the moment. And before I let you jump in, Sleepy, just the last point here is that I'm not making any real bold prediction when you look at it. Last year in 2019, fantasy points per game, Dalvin Cook was number two. 20.9 PPR fantasy points per game on average. He missed two games towards the end of the year, but he's been relatively healthy for the last couple of seasons. And the only person ahead of him in fantasy points per game was obviously Christian McCaffrey at 29.5. So give me the same guy who was number two in fantasy points per game last year as a running back into a possible full 16 games this year. I'm taking Dalvin Cook number two without question. You know, I don't have a problem going ahead and buying Cook with you. I think one of the reasons I would be just a little leery on him is the fact that he does have injury concerns, you know, from, from years past. But like you said, you know, this is a completely different year and this is a completely different handicap. This is not going to be a normal handicap because of the coronavirus, obviously. And when I'm looking at guys this year, at least if, if I'm going to put them in, you know, season long is one thing. But even daily fantasy, you know, I want guys that that know the offense. I want guys that are comfortable with their quarterback, comfortable with their coach. And Cook's been there for long enough. Now, you had mentioned that Diggs is leaving. There's going to be, you know, a lot of yards that has to be made up. There's going to be, you know, a, a, but more than likely, I mean, you're going to have to probably cross out a lot of plays because, as you mentioned, Jefferson's not ready. I think there's another guy there who even wasn't who wasn't even on the team last year, and now he's coming in. So not only am I looking to go ahead and stay away from rookies, but I'm looking to go ahead and stay away from, you know, anybody that was on one team last year and, and they're a new arrival to a new team. Um, those guys, to me, they, they probably just won't have a whole lot of value because, you know, there are new coaches that come in and maybe they do change a little bit here, change a little bit there. But, you know, if you're not working with, you know, the same players, especially because, you know, they they lost a lot of their offseason. I mean, the Super Bowl was in the beginning of February and we were locked down, you know, with what, like four or five weeks after that. So these players didn't even get in their normal, you know, offseason workouts and didn't get in their normal you know, getting their playbooks, just that, and like nobody really knew what was going on. So, you know, going ahead and taking Cook is safe. You know, and if, if this offense is slow to get rolling, and I think we will see a lot of offenses that are slow to get rolling, the easiest thing to do is check down, hand the ball off. And I think a guy like Cook, if he stays healthy, and as you mentioned, his contract year, you know, he probably has a really good season. More than likely, I'd, I would be willing to bet that. You know, you can go and look at his stats, you know, since he came into this league, that he might have a good, good chance here to go ahead and eclipse everything that he's ever done in this league. So uh, I would be with you with Cook. The only only worry I have with him is the fact that, you know, he does have injury concerns. But, you know, guys aren't injury prone. I mean, you hear that a lot. You know, guys don't go out there and, and try to go ahead and, you know, do certain things that get themselves hurt. You know, you can't stop a 300-pound lineman from, you know, tackling you or falling into your knees. I mean, you know, shit happens. But uh, with that said, that's one guy out of the way, and I agree with you with that one. Sleepy, let, yeah, let, me just, let me just add to that what you just said about the injury narrative because it's a very important thing going into this season is that, like you said, there, there isn't such a thing as injury prone. I think you can use the injury prone tag when we're talking about maybe soft tissue injuries. So if someone's experiencing a hamstring issue, that could make, that could make him more or less injury prone for that month or maybe for the next couple of months just dealing with that specific injury. But when you look at Dalvin Cook, look, I was burned by him in 2017. I, I spent a high fantasy draft pick on him as a rookie, and he tore his ACL four games into the season. But 2018 comes back and plays 11 games after he's rehabbed and fully healthy. Last year played 14 games. So he's gone from four 
to 11 to 14. His games played has increased each of his first three seasons in the league. And it seems to me like he's healthier now than ever before. And usually when you talk about a team that might struggle out of the gate, like the Vikings, look, their their season win total is lower than it was last year. So, okay, you see a running back there and you say, okay, well, this team's not going to be leading as much. I'm going to devalue the running back a tad. He might get less carries. They might not be playing from ahead as much, but his importance in the passing game, you, you just cannot overstate that value. And, and I think that gives him even more of a ceiling this year. And, and just look at some of his highlight plays. I mean, the, the guy's an absolutely dynamic playmaker, whether he's running the ball or catching the ball and, and all those things. And, and you mentioned the continuity just makes me love Dalvin Cook. And I'm telling you, I'm not just taking him as the number two running back off the board. If I got the number two pick and Christian McCaffrey's going before him, I'm taking Dalvin Cook number two overall, all positions. That's where I'm at right now. You know, let me circle back real quick to the injury prone thing. I think that, that Cook kind of is in a different type of category. One, he, you know, he he wants to do well, but also he wants to go ahead and probably play his best this year because of the contract. But if this was a year ago and, you know, you have a guy who consistently is injured, you know, whether he misses four games or two games or maybe misses six or whatever, you know, it's kind of like that guy that goes to work that, you know, oh, he has a headache. Well, we'll let him out early today. And, you know, there's really no repercussion for, you know, this guy taking off early or this guy not, you know, showing up on time or, or, or coming to work at all or whatever. Like, I get that part, you know, but once you start giving, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of a break to a certain guy and, and we've seen it and we'll cover guys eventually that, that I'll be able to identify that, you know, maybe they just, you know, they're just going through the motions and it's like, you know what, if I'm not going to get, you know, in trouble or it's not going to hurt me in any way, you know, financially, or at least, you know, the, the amount of time that I play, then, you know, maybe you worry about a guy like that who, you know, does suffer injuries from time to time, but I don't really think Cook falls into that category. Yeah, Sleepy, and we're talking about, I said I said uh, 80 targets for Stephon Diggs being vacated from last season. I actually understated that. It's actually 94 targets, and Justin Jefferson, what's he going to get? Maybe 30 of those, 40 of those if he's lucky. The guy's been struggling to compete against second-string defenses in training camp. If you look at some of the beat reporters on Twitter right now, putting out some news here in the last couple days and last couple weeks. So give me all the Dalvin Cook, number two overall, any position. All right, so with Dalvin Cook out of the way, it looks like we'll go ahead by Cook. Why don't we go over to another guy that you're looking to buy? I see you have Kenyon Drake on your list. Now, I see another guy, but I want to save him for a little bit. But why don't you talk about Drake? Obviously, he's going to move. You know, he has spent all those years in Miami. Now he's going to go to Arizona. And I'm seeing a lot of guys on Drake. And I'm looking to, I'm looking for you to go ahead and sell him to me. I, I don't want to buy him or sell him right now. But I want you to give me a reason why why I should play him, you know, why I shouldn't. Kenyon Drake's a guy that not many, not many of us had on our boards last year, not even as a late-round dart thrower. The guy had kind of flamed out under Adam Gase in Miami and not really been given a true opportunity, but had flashed at the same time. And, and when you look at a guy like Kenyon Drake, I mean, he's one of many now who have stepped out of the shadow of Adam Gase and, and seemingly flourished here over the last couple of seasons. We saw with Devontae Parker, once, G once Gase left Miami this past season, put on a clinic there with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And uh, Kenyon Drake's just another example of that. And, and the guy was one of only five running backs uh, from weeks 11 to 16 last year to average over 20 fantasy points per game. I mean, he's in the same company as Zeke, as Derrick Henry, as Saquon Barkley, as Christian McCaffrey. Um, and a lot of people say think Cardinals and they think air raid offense, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, they're just going to throw it around everywhere, not really run the ball too much. 
but it was actually a little bit opposite and contrarian of that type of, uh, you know, overall mindset and, and, and general uh, public thought on the Cardinals offense is that Drake's involved in the passing game. He's a three down running back in this offense, and they're going to throw a lot to the running backs out of the backfield. And in a, a time where most people in fantasy are either playing full point PPR or half point PPR. And, and I want all the Kenyon Drake because honestly, he's going to be involved in one of the most dynamic offenses in the league. Adding DeAndre Hopkins to the mix, it isn't more or less going to take away targets from Drake. It's going to free up Drake to get even more wide open down the field opportunities. He's going to be more open in the flats. He's going to be more open on his crossing routes up the middle of the field. However they decide to use him, he's a guy that, yeah, he's in his fifth year in the NFL, but he doesn't have many miles on his tires because he wasn't really used that much with the Dolphins with Adam Gase, like I said. So I really love the potential of Drake in that offense being a clear-cut three-down back and and being – uh, a guy who's going to get heavy carries and heavy targets in the passing game as well. Yeah, he should be fresh. I mean, if you go through and you look at some of the guys' usage from last year, I mean, look at McCaffrey. I mean, he – I mean, you're talking like 300 and some touches last year for that guy. But look at Drake. He he played like six games. I think it was like a couple of years ago, and then he played like eight games last year. But as you mentioned, you know, he, he has a lot of tread on the tire. Miami – I don't think they gave him the ball 200 times in any season that he was there. And I know he played, you know, a decent amount. But that offense down there in Miami was just so screwy. They didn't know who they wanted to uh, to, to be the running back. So he's going to come in fresh. I think he'll come in motivated. And one of the things I like about Kingsbury, you know, when he was a a college football coach, they always seemed to have like that running back that, that, can, that can run and catch. But they were always really, really dangerous. I mean, I remember when Mahomes was the quarterback. Uh, for Texas Tech. I mean, it was still the same offense, but I mean, those guys were, you know, they they were able to go ahead and catch the ball. So I don't really necessarily know what to do with Drake. I think it's the fact that you just have that image in your head. And this is really, you know, where you come in, you know, where you're important is, you know, a lot of people, especially the the, the betters are going to look at Kenyon Drake and be like, you know, am I ever going to play a player prop on him? Well, you know, this might be the year where, you know, the books are asleep, falling asleep behind the wheel. Uh, a lot of people have an image of, you know, his days in Miami. And if they go back to last year, well, they don't really don't have a full season. So you don't necessarily know what his averages are. So you might be able to pick off certain numbers that are, you know, kind of juicy in a sense. But, you know, again, like where you're important, you know, you're going to know the matchups. You're going to know, you know, if the offensive line is healthy and if, the, if you know, one or two guys on the opposite defense, you know, maybe maybe one of their – their best tacklers or one of their best pass rushers or, you know, just one of their better run stoppers are, are out. And, you know, we can go ahead, we can keep digging for that information. And I think somebody like Drake does have value. I'm cautious with him because I'm not exactly sure what the Arizona offense is going to look like in year number two with Kingsbury. I can't disagree with you in any way to say that, you know, that, that it's not a guy that we should look at one way or another. If we're not looking at him for fantasy, we certainly should be looking at him to go ahead and bet on. Yeah, Sleepy, and just to second that, as you mentioned Kyler Murray, and you know, I think we can all assume that he's going to be at least a little bit better, right? We don't expect, we don't expect uh, a setback or a drop back in his production from his rookie year. The fact that he's adding DeAndre Hopkins, one of the potentially top five talents at wide receiver, is only going to make him better, and it's only going to lighten the boxes for Kenyon Drake. It's not like you could really stack the box against the four wide receiver spread scheme that the Cardinals and and the Air Raid Kingsbury-led offense likes to run. So you're going to be getting those light boxes throughout the entire season and having a dynamic running back who can take advantage of that. Like I said, 
between the tackles. He he's a great outside edge rusher as well, and he can uh, he can also catch passes and be dynamic down the middle of the field. So all those reasons alone, and then we talked about Dalvin Cook playing on a contract year. And, and, and you think he's going to be as motivated as possible to play every single game to get that big payday. But Kenyon Drake, he's almost in the same situation because, you know, he didn't have much contract value when, when he was traded last season to the Cardinals, you know, kind of sitting there middling around in Miami. But they signed him to a contract extension that's essentially only guaranteed for one year. I believe it was a one-year, about $8.5 million contract. So even though he signed for this year alone – He's going to be looking for a bigger bigger deal as well, and he has the motivation to play it out, and the Cardinals have the motivation to give him as much work as humanly possible, and those are the types of three-down running backs that I'm looking to buy. So right now, I've got Kenyon Drake, Kenyon Drake ranked as my number five running back. There's been some times when I've been even willing to take him number three behind Dalvin Cook, so the only guy in between that would be Saquon Barkley, maybe an Alvin Kamara. So I've got Drake right at the top of my third running back tier. And, you know, I could not blame you if you wanted to take Kenyon Drake as the second or third running back off the board. ECR has him at RB9. I've got him RB5. So again, four spots higher than ECR with Drake, same as we are with Cook. Both guys, I think, offer very similar ceilings and skill sets when when we're talking about three down backs with pass catching upside. All right. So there's a good bit there on Kenyon Drake. Let's jump over to a guy that I know quite well. Looks like you're going to go ahead and probably buy on Miles Sanders. I'm going to let you go because I will have some pushback here with Sanders, but you're looking to go ahead and buy Miles Sanders. What do you got with him? Yeah, so, I uh, mean, we, we, we always want to have uh, hesitations and uh, precautions about uh, drafting an Eagles running back too high, right? Um, because obviously Coach Peterson there has shown the propensity to have a lot of running running back by committees in his coaching day. Um but I, I think it's different with Miles Sanders, a guy that into last year struggled out of the struggled out of the gate. You know, his first half rookie season, but towards the end of the year, really got going. And I, I know he was on and off the field a little bit with some injuries, but all indications are at a training camp that running backs coach, the former Saint great um, uh, Deuce McAllister, right? Um, is, is it Deuce McAllister or Deuce Dale? I know it's I know it's one of the Deuces there that's the running backs coach, and he's been heaping nothing but high praise on Miles Sanders all year. And and we're talking about another potentially explosive offense with Wentz getting healthier and another year into his career. And then you talk about Deshaun Jackson coming back healthy. They drafted Jalen Rieger in the first round, dynamic receiver there as well. So I think all the signs point to Miles Sanders being the feature back because simply there's no one else behind him. I know people were worried that, oh, they might sign a veteran like Carlos Hyde. Maybe they signed Devonta Freeman, and it kind of splits the workload with Sanders. But so far, we're a couple weeks away from kickoff now, and that has not ha- that has not happened. I think that actions speak louder than words. So we're getting great indication from the words from the running backs coach that Sanders is going to be the featured workhorse. And then we're getting the actions out of the coaching staff and, and general management that, hey, we're not going to take another guy. Sanders is going to get those carries. Yeah, he might step off the field a few third downs here and there and seed some work to Boston Scott, but you know, no one's going to no running back in today's NFL is going to be on the field for every single offensive snap. So, I'm cool with that. I think Sanders also has the same pass catching upside and the guy is just a, a dynamo playmaker, you know, speed, agility, and, and real shiftiness out of the backfield. I love his explosive play. I think if you play in a league where you get rewarded for extra points for 40-plus, 50-plus yard touchdowns, 
you might even want to bump him up or spot or two uh, because he's the type of guy that can make plays like that. I've got him RB6 right now. Consensus has him RB11, so he's five spots higher in our rankings than the ECR at the moment. I think one of the big concerns I have for Philly is it actually comes down to the coach, and it comes down to the fact that he loves to spread the ball, and they just have way too many guys. I mean, you have a Jeffrey, you have Jackson. I mean, you still have Greg Ward out there. You don't know if he might end up grabbing some catches. You got Rieger coming in. You also have Sanders. You have Ertz. You have Goddard. You have Clement. You have uh, Boston Scott. I mean, take a look at the guys last year that actually got the Eagles to the playoffs. I just named about half the offense, and half those guys weren't even there last year. So did Boston Scott earn a couple catches or a couple runs during the game? I think he did. Greg Ward, same thing. Yeah, I think he did. And one of the things that that I know for a fact, because I watch the Eagles every single weekend, and my, my best friend's a diehard Eagles fan, and he always tells me, he's like, you don't want to take Eagles guys because – he just spreads the ball out too much within that offense. And I'm like, it makes sense. And and I've taken guys before, and I've gotten burned every time I tried to take an Eagle player because you don't know if it's going to be Alshon getting, you know, 10 targets or if it's going to be Ertz getting nine or, or whatever the case might be or a running back. I mean, we know Ertz, you know, is going to get the volume um, each, each and every week, but then you don't know, you know, who's going to be next. And I think one of the – one of the the issues, at least with the Eagles running game, is they're going to start out with, you know, one of their best linemen is more than likely going to be out for the entire year. You know, Jason Peters is, isn't getting any younger, and I, I don't think he'll start this year. But, I mean, it just there, there are certain things with that line that, you know, over two years ago, I mean, arguably they might have one of the best offensive lines in the league, and people might still be, you know, play, playing to that. But there are injuries, and more than anything for me, you know, with Sanders, I don't doubt his talent. I've seen him live play, and dude's got talent. He can catch, he can run, but I think it's the fact that you really need some volume. You need some usage, and I would feel a lot better where maybe I know the Eagles are going to end up in in some type of a game where the game script and the matchups and everything just kind of falls into place. You know, I would be more willing to go ahead and play Sanders uh, weekly than I would season long. That's just kind of how I feel right now. And I'm sure there's a lot of people on both sides of the fence. But, you know, as you mentioned Drake just a minute ago, like I would feel so much better with Drake than I would with Sanders because I, I, I don't think Kingsbury, you know, has a playbook, it, not in the second year. You know, Wentz and Peterson have been together, you know, long enough. And there's multiple guys that are, that are on that team, at least on that offensive unit, especially in the running backs. I've been there for a number of years, so I wouldn't be shocked if if Sanders ends up being overdrafted um, this year. So it's not that I would sell him or I would buy him. It would just be a guy that that I would be buying and selling, you know, differently each and every week. Yeah, he, he, has, he has the upside to flash. I 100% agree with you. And, and just one thing I want to chime in before we move on, and, and I think with a lot of these uh, positions we're going to be talking about in fantasy, we're going to start off with the guys we're buying – then we're going to touch on a few guys we're kind of selling slash fading. So, you know, we're going to get into that in a little bit as well. Um, and, and Sleepy, one, one big thing that I've learned from listening to you and Dave over the years and a lot of the great guys at pregame.com, a lot of the, the great handicappers out there, is you talk a lot about sample size. And when it comes to sample size for me, 
you know, you, you can't, you have to be very selective on how you use that in terms of how you put together your own rankings and your own analysis on players coming into the season, right? Because in, in essence, I've got a handicap which players I like because this isn't going to be a weekly DFS type of thing. We're talking about season long right now. And, and Sanders has that ceiling to where he could be the slate breaker on any given Sunday on a DraftKings or FanDuel lineup, right? But I, th- there's two there's two specific sets of uh, sample sizes that, w- that I want to look at from 2019. And, and hardly ever am I going to take all of last year and use that as like a blanket sample size. But what I'm going to use, I'm going to use weeks 13 through 16, which was last year's fantasy playoffs, and which was when teams who were actually in contention and actually figuring things out, it's like, okay, we know what we figured out to this point in the season. We know the guys we want to ride with and who we want to die with. And Sanders was that guy. Sanders from weeks 13 to 16, and I say 13 because that's the last week of the fantasy regular season up until week 16, which is the fantasy championship for most leagues. Miles Sanders was the number three running back in fantasy points per game, only behind McCaffrey and Barkley. He put up 23.6 fantasy points per game. And the second sample I want to look at, if I want to widen that just a tiny bit, is weeks nine through 16. That's technically the second half of the fantasy season last year. Miles Sanders comes in at running back number seven, but he really didn't get things going until later on in the year because he struggled a little bit as a rookie. They had some other people. They had Jordan Howard back there in the first half of the year. He got hurt. He's not there anymore. This is the Miles Sanders show. You hear coach Doug Peterson. You hear running backs coach Deuce Staley. They're both hyping him up a lot this offseason. And like I said, the fact they haven't brought anyone in, I don't think Corey Clement is anything. He might be a healthy scratch or strictly special teams type of guy. Alshon Jeffrey Jeffrey is starting the year on the PUP list. We don't even know when he's going to be back. So in essence, you have one of the most injury-prone receivers in Deshaun Jackson who could literally go down in week one. You have a rookie wide out in Jalen Rieger, a lot of upside, but a lot of uncertainty as well. And then you have a guy guy who was a a practice squad walk-on last year in Greg Ward. So I like Greg Ward and his story personally, but if you actually really look at it, I don't know if Miles Sanders has as much competition for targets as we think. Obviously, they have the best tight end duo in Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard, but you could easily see Sanders rise that target pecking order to possibly the third option in that offense, given the situation of receiver that they have right now. So I I think while at the same time, I'd definitely love to have Drake above Sanders. I've got Drake one spot higher. Uh, I would not be disappointed if Miles Sanders is my RB1 heading into fantasy seasons this year. You know, I would probably immediately push back with, you know, the sample size that you broke out for Sanders. I think they played the Giants like twice, Miami, and I think they played like Washington, uh, you know, at the end of the year. And and those are teams who, you know, obviously they 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 had no business even, you know, thinking about playoffs or any of that stuff like that. And Philly did. So I think they they had some easier competition, you know, in those last couple weeks. And the only other thing that I can think of to push back with Sanders is, you know, that was a, that was a time where, you know, he knew the playbook and they didn't have a whole hell of a lot of options. I think they were still, you know, trying to get Greg Ward and Perkins and, and, you know, other guys in that offense to go and be like, dude, you got to fill a hole. Like Alshon's gone. Deshaun's gone. This guy's gone. Ertz was hurt. You know, it was like, you know, we need to fill holes and, the easiest guy to go ahead and, and say, all right, well, what plays do we know? What can we run? You know, how can we get Sanders involved as much as possible? Because he is good. You know, don't get me wrong with that. But I think he was the beneficiary of seeing some bad teams and the fact that 
you know, he might have been one of the only guys on that team, you know, besides Wentz that kind of knew the playbook inside and out. And there was a there were a lot more options for him. So, um, again, you, you, you'll you only get pushback with me from more than likely with Sanders. But, you know, you make a lot of great points and and I don't disagree with with anything that you said. And this is one of the things why this podcast is going to be valuable to, to everybody, but it's going to be especially valuable to us because, you know, we can, we can agree and disagree. But for me, um, like I mentioned, it, it would be taking miles on, you know, a weekly basis and, and not drafting him for season long. That would be where I go with that one. When we jump over to another guy here, you have Melvin Gordon, one of your buy guys here. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I would probably have to listen to you and see if you can, if you can sell him to me, um, I'm just not sure. So I'll let you go ahead and rip a run on Melvin Gordon. Tell me what you're thinking about him. Yeah, so Melvin Gordon's uh, a guy who I'm not necessarily – look, I don't want Melvin Gordon as my first running back off the board, right? But he's going as the RB18 on consensus, and in that case, I think he's a little bit too low. You look at a guy who is essentially still in his prime. He's still a young back. It just seems like he's been around forever with all the time he was with the Chargers, right? And and obviously Austin Eckler stole a little bit of his thunder last year with, with the holdout that, that Melvin Gordon missed a lot of those games early in the season. But the guy's still a young, very talented back. He's going to a run-first offense that's going to be really predicated on defense and kind of easing um, easing the burden and the workload and responsibility on Drew Locke, right? They, they, they still want Drew Locke to progress and get better, but they don't want to put too much on his shoulders. And Melvin Gordon steps into a role where he's, he's going to be getting a bulk of the work in, in that offense, whereas Philip Lindsay, as great as he is, and I love Philip Lindsay as a player, he's a very small running back and he can only handle so much work. And he's not even much of a passing down back. So I think Gordon's going to get a hefty amount of the targets. And I think Drew Locke's going to be looking for a lot of those short area targets in that offense. So I've got Melvin Gordon ranked at RB 11, which is seven spots higher than consensus. The reason I put him as a buy is just because of that discrepancy is that I would love to get him as a high end RB two, which I think most of the uh, ECR and and analysts in the industry have him more as a low end RB two. So I, I think if he falls in the right spot, he's definitely worth taking. His touchdown upside is there. You know, he has the three down potential. He has the passing game upside. And these are all things we're highlighting here from whether it's Cook, Drake, Sanders, Gordons. We're looking for those factors to, to kind of give us a complete fantasy, fantasy running back to have on our teams here. Whether, you know, we don't want a running back at this high in the draft that's going to get phased out because – either A, the team's not running anymore because they're trailing, or B, is because they're not passing anymore because they have the lead. And I don't think Gordon gets phased out in either of those two situations. This is a Denver team that I can't really put my finger on when it comes to season win totals. I'm not very high on Drew Locke personally, uh, but I don't know if that really matters in terms of Melvin Gordon's fantasy potential. So I think he's the lead dog. And when you talk about a healthy, young lead dog running back like a Melvin Gordon – I think last season is kind of uh, you know maybe um, fogging our glasses a little bit when we're looking at him for 2020. I would be more inclined to go ahead and probably end up backing you with Gordon here. You know, I like the fact that you bring in a, a running back that one is talented, but two, he didn't want to be in San Diego, and you see a lot of a lot of players in San Diego. You know, it, it's a great place to live, and it's beautiful there, and and you get to play in this you know pretty cool offense and stuff like that. But eventually. 
you know, when you can't win when you're supposed to, you just get a little salty. And I think that there were, you know, there the, the fact that he wanted out of there, there, there was probably a lot of salt there, you know, for a number of a number of years. But I, it, it does cut down on on your, you know, on your on your dedication probably to, you know, am I going to go out here and kill myself every week for this team and, and this that and the other? And the fact that he got out of there and he goes to, you know, an, another team that, you know, as you mentioned, they're going to be wanting to run first. I, I I wouldn't be, you know, against that. I think, you know, Lindsay is is decent, but I don't see him getting probably any more than 20% of the carries, you know, throughout the season just because Gordon is that talented. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but – and I'm not talking necessarily last year, but maybe in the beginning of the season. But go back to, you know, the year before. I mean, Gordon was being drafted very high and, and for, for good reasons. I mean, he was out there – you know, finishing each and every week. I mean, he was, you know, blowing up the scoreboard because, you know, he, he was able to go ahead and get those touches and he was able to go ahead and get those catches. So, um, you know, he is a three down back that, you know, is probably going to end up getting, you know, I, I think one thing about Denver is they get their money's worth out of their players when they bring guys like this into the system. And the fact that Drew Locks knew, you know, it, it it's kind of, you know, well, who's his security blanket right now? Is it going to be, you know, is it going to be their, they're tied in fan or is it going to be Sutton? I don't know. I think, I think the security blanket might actually be the running back, a guy who they can go, you know what? We paid money for this guy and he he's ready and he's willing, he's motivated. And I think you'll see some, some new blood uh, coming from Gordon. And he might be a guy that, you know, people are looking to go ahead and pick up and be like, screw this man. Like this guy's going crazy every week and he has that potential. So I've seen the ceiling for Gordon and it's, you know, it's being drafted as, you know, RB one or two. He has that type of potential and he's shown that before. I don't know necessarily where I would take him. Uh, I would certainly be looking at him on a weekly basis, but you know, if they're, if, if I'm stuck with, you know, going through my season long and I'm, you know, stuck with it with a crummy pick and, and he's on the board, I wouldn't be afraid to draft him first if that's the guy that, that lands in my, in my lap. So uh, I would be with you here with Gordon. You got anything else on him that you might want to say before we close up and go to our uh, fade guys? Yeah, no, and and you bring up a great point about Gordon's ceiling that you already saw with the Chargers, right? I mean, like he's already proven that he can be a top-tier running back in this league. And last year, even – and look, I'm going to bring up this sample size again because a lot of people, what they do is they look at the total stats from last year and they say, oh, wow, you know, well, Cooper Cup was a top 10 wide receiver or, you know, this running back was top 10. But then they don't realize that maybe there was some factor in the second half of the season where, you know, you can't really tell if this person uh, fell off the map or lost opportunity. And we'll get into the Cooper Cup thing when we talk about receivers, because that's one of my, that's probably my biggest fade at all positions when we're talking about fantasy drafts this season. But Melvin Gordon, when he came back, I'm going to say again, weeks 9 to 16 last year. That's the second half of our fantasy seasons. He was the number eight running back in PPR, and that was with competing with touches and targets with Austin Eckler. So the the fact that he was able to be number eight, even ahead of Eckler after he came back, and he was very limited in the amount of passing game work that was available with the Chargers, I think that can only speak to his potential to go even higher. You know, he, he could possibly, I think his ceiling could be top five running back. And the fact that, look, he's not my favorite running back out of all these guys, but the fact he's going on average as RB18, that's just way too low for me. And the guy's 27 years old. 
you know, he, he's going to be looking to, to really kind of show what he has left in the tank over these next couple of years as he starts getting towards 29, 30. So I think now is the time. The scheme fins him well. He's going to get all the passing where Philip Lindsay was not a pass. You figure a lot of small running backs are, are more pass catching backs, but Philip Lindsay is not a pass catching back. So Gordon's going to eat those targets. I think he's going to eat that goal line work for Denver. And I would not be surprised to see him finish inside inside the top seven, six, maybe maybe even top five. So with that value, I would love to get him as my second running back in fantasy this year. And you brought up one of the big reasons why why I would immediately consider him is the fact of his goal line work. You know, throughout the years has been you know where he makes his money and where he makes you know his his people the money because you know he's a guy that you don't want off the field down in that area. One because of his speed, two he can catch the ball. And, you know, it's, 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 I think he, I think he's probably a little bit underrated in the play action game where, you know, he, he could be a good blocker and, and chip and stuff like that and then, and go ahead and leak out. So he, he's kind of a deceptive guy. So um, I'd be with you here on Gordon. Let's jump over to a fade. Um, I'm with you with this guy a hundred percent. I'll let you go ahead and start out with Nick Chubb. It looks like you're going to go ahead and probably go ahead and fade him. Maybe not take him for the season, but. Why don't you go ahead and talk about Nick Chubb a little bit? Because I'm with you if you're fading him. Oh yeah, man, this one this one's tough for me. Like Chubb's a guy that that uh, I, I picked up off the waivers in his rookie year two seasons ago uh, when the Browns had Carlos Hyde, and then they they handed the keys over to Chubb and he just completely smashed and he was a beast. And look, man, you're talking about real life football here for a second. I think Nick Chubb is top five talent in the league. I would even I would even consider him one of my top two favorite running backs, just in terms of my favorite overall players in the NFL. I love Nick Chubb. I think he is a great three down running back. I think he he is a very good and above average pass catcher as well. However, you cannot ignore the fact that he has one of the other most talented running backs right next to him in the running back room, which is Kareem Hunt. And Kareem Hunt is not going anywhere. And that severely limits Nick Chubb's upside. If you're playing in a standard league that does not give any points per catches on a non-PPR league, which like we both know, it is one of the most outdated fantasy formats that we have going on. Not many people do that anymore. You just simply cannot have Nick Chubb if you're giving any points for catches because Kareem Hunt is going to be that pass catching back in this Browns offense. And Look, man, again, I'm going to bring up the, the weeks 9 through 16, and this is right this, – this, this, this sample is perfect for Chubb because it shows exactly what he did when Kareem Hunt came back into the lineup. And Nick Chubb was like a borderline top 20 running back, right? You say, okay, well, yeah, top 20 is not too bad, right? But no, he's going as the RB consensus right now as RB12. He's going as an RB1 off the board. I've got him at RB17, and frankly, Sleepy, I, th- I think I might be too high on him still. I think I might consider putting Chubb around the RB24, RB25, because he can only do so much when he's splitting snaps, not, not even splitting targets. He's seeding almost all his targets to Kareem Hunt. And yeah, okay, you're going to get a guy that's going to get a lot of carries and might lead the league in rushing yards and attempts, but th- that's not going to win me my fantasy league. And and, and that's that's why I'm, I'm, I'm low on Nick Chubb. I got him at RB17 right now. I'm inclined to put him lower. Uh, consensus has him RB12, and I've seen a lot of drafts and mock drafts that I've done where people are taking him in the first round. First round talent, first round talent, but first round production not in not, not in 2020, not even close. Yeah, I think the, you know one of the ways I would probably attack you know Chubb would be you know maybe using him and Kareem Hunt together you know for a DFS lineup where 
you know, they're going to go up against a, a defense that's just terrible, you know, against the run. And, you know, maybe they're playing, you know, a, a, you know, a, a really good secondary where it's like, all right, well, you know, we, we think the game plan for this week might be, you know, use use a lot of running backs. Maybe you could use both guys or something like that, you know, for a weekend. And maybe you can go ahead and get some play out of Chubb. But I agree with you. And another thing that I didn't even mention, the fact that you're going to bring a guy like Hooper in there. I mean, this this team's going to be loaded. I mean, you have Najoku, you're going to have Hooper, you'll have Landry, you'll have Beckham. I mean, you still got Higgins out there. Then you're trying to get Hunt in, and it's like, you know, you bring in you bring in a a new tackle, and it's like, well, now Baker's going to have some protection, and let's go ahead and get our get our money worth out of that. And look, I get it. I you know you we've seen Chubb go ahead and rip off you know 60, 70 yard touchdowns, and it's like, well, only takes a couple of those, you know during a game and it's like boom it's like the guy got all his points could he do that yeah i think he could but for me to draft even to draft a running back like i need to know that i'm going to get volume and if i'm not going to get volume out of a guy if i'm only going to get 16 rushes when you know i have the potential to to get a guy that's going to give me 30 um you know like a derrick henry i i feel would be more valuable than a guy like chubb just because i know i'm probably going to get more volume out of a guy like Henry. Actually, we have Henry on our list here. We'll talk about him in a minute. But, yeah, Chubbs, I don't have anything wrong with him. I mean, he's he's pretty damn good. But he's a, he, I just think he's stuck in the wrong offense. And one of the things I think that, you know, we talked about this when we talked about the quarterbacks and I talked about Mayfield is if they can get all these players to buy into what they're trying to sell and what they're trying to sell is we got a damn good offense that could do a lot of great things. And we could potentially go ahead and, and win the Super Bowl with, with an offense like this if we get it together and if we get it rolling and if each and every guy buys into what we need them to do. And they're not going to ask Chubb to do, you know, things that he can't do. And one of the things we know that he's actually really good at is running between the tackles and running the football. They're not going to ask him to catch. You just, you know, hunt, hunts there for a reason. That dude's good. I mean, when he got cut by Kansas City, you know, for the shit that he did, it was like, man, that offense is, is going to suffer. And look, it did. And I, I think the fact that he's on this Browns team, it's like, let's use this guy. I mean, he he's he's a professional football player for a reason. And, you know, people didn't obviously did not want to see him go off that Kansas City offense because of the production. So it's not like he's going to be sitting back there and not getting not getting his touches either. So there's just too many mouths to feed with that offense. And I don't I don't even think if, you know, if Nick Chubb's handed to you, you know, in, in the later rounds that you even pick him up, I would, you know, I'd start looking for other positions that, that maybe, you know, you might be able to find those sleepers. So I'd be with you. Yeah, I don't want any part of Chubb. Awesome player, but I just can't do it. Yeah, I, I love the guy. I, I love Nick Chubb as a player. I cannot stress that enough. But the fact is, is once Kareem Hunt got back into the team last year, and and, and granted, it was his first time ever playing with the Browns. He literally hopped in midseason week nine. And instantly from week nine until the end of the season, Kareem Hunt literally outpaced Nick Chubb in fantasy points in PPR. So you're talking about a guy who's getting twice as many carries, but is getting less fantasy points. I don't want the guy who's getting 20 carries for 90 yards and maybe every other week he gets one touchdown. Because if you're relying on guys to score touchdowns, you're not winning your fantasy leagues. You're not even winning your DFS lineups. You've got to have that PPR upside. Even with FanDuel, they, it's half-point PPR. With DraftKings, it's full-point PPR. So whether we're talking about DFS or season-long fantasy, the, the the draft cost at getting Nick Chubb right now is going to be in the second round, whereas you could literally wait until round maybe six or seven and get a Kareem Hunt to where if, if Nick Chubb ever went down, 
Kareem Hunt could be the number one back in all of fantasy because he would literally get everything in that offense. And even if Kareem Hunt were to go down, I don't think you could say the same thing about Nick Chubb because they're just seemingly not willing to really uh, unlock the passing game opportunity for him in this offense right now. And you brought up Austin Hooper. And another thing I'm going to add on to that is Kevin Stefanski coming from Minnesota where he loves running two tight end sets. So now you've got David Njoku in there. They just uh, spent a high draft pick on another rookie tight end, however much work he gets in Harrison Bryant. So OBJ getting a little bit healthier. Baker Mayfield starting to step up and make more passes. I think the only time you could ever play Chubb confidently is if the Browns are like seven to 10 point favorites on the spread. And you know, they're just going to dominate from end to end and they're going to be handing it off. And he's getting between 25, 30 carries for the game. And even in that case, I still think his upside is capped to an extent. So look for 2021, Nick Hunt uh, for 2021, Kareem Hunt is probably not going to be in Cleveland anymore. Then you then you go back to the well and you take Nick Chubb in the first round, second round, because he's going to be that workhorse. But for now, I just can't do it. All right, so that's it there on Nick Chubb. Let's jump over to one more other fade that you have here. I actually was scratching my head when I saw this guy on your list because I would buy him, and that's without doing any work. That's just, you know, I would buy. So I, you have Derrick Henry here. You're looking to go ahead and fade him. Go ahead and tell me why I should uh, reconsider, you know, just going ahead and knee-jerk reaction buying on Derrick Henry. Yeah, right. So, like, look, we're not talking about completely fading Derrick Henry to where we're not drafting him in any situation, right? Like, Derrick Henry is a straight-up beast, and I'm not going to knock his talent whatsoever. What I am going to do is I'm going to point to the fact that Derrick Henry right now is ECR running back number six overall. I've got him at RB12 which still means he could be either a late first round or early to mid second round pick. And I'm totally fine with that. I, I just think, again, if you're playing in a PPR league, which most people are, the fact is, is that he still does not get that much volume in the passing game. And in a season where we think some things on the Titans offense could regress in a negative way, you know, that could mean a lot more trailing in games and a lot less playing from ahead and simply just handing the ball to Henry every every single chance that they get. So because of that, I have Henry as RB12 as opposed to RB6. I'm, I still view him as a top 10 running back in fantasy or top 15 in that range. I'm just not willing to take him ahead of guys who have that pass game upside like an Austin Eckler, like a Miles Sanders, like a Kamara, like even like an Aaron Jones, for example. Um, you know, I, I think he's a monster, but I, I still think I'm a little bit hesitant to believe that the Titans are just going to start throw, throwing him a lot of passes in, in the offense because Tannehill is already a low-volume passer as it is. And and towards the end of last year, and, and you know, you start to see Henry. He's a guy who trends up towards the second half of seasons. They start him off slow. Then around wintertime, he starts really kind of ramping things up. In the playoffs, he just goes full force, right? But if you look at last season, even from weeks 13 to 16, again, the fantasy playoffs, the fantasy championships, when you're relying on guys the most, Derrick Henry was barely cracking the top 10. He was averaging 18.7 fantasy points per game, but still behind guys even like Todd Gurley, Aaron Jones, Drake, Zeke, Sanders, Barkley, McCaffrey. So while I think Derrick Henry belongs in that discussion, I'm not going to go as far as putting him RB6. I'm going to put him right around the border of that top 10. 
I just think the hype is a little bit too much on him right now, especially in PPR scoring formats. And just real quick, just one little nugget. Derrick Henry had one less target last year than CJ Ham. So just I'll just leave it at that. You know, I'm really worried about the passing game upside. You mentioned the slow starts. Um, before last year, a lot of people thought Derrick Henry w- would be a fantasy killer. He's going to kill your lineup more often than not because he's not scoring. If he's not scoring touchdowns, he's almost useless. So I, I love the guy, but I, I think the hype train's a little going a little too fast on Derrick Henry right now. You know, when I think about Henry, I, I have to go back to last year and how strong he was at the end of the year and throughout the playoffs. And that's one of the concerns that I would have probably going ahead and picking him up early is do they want to go ahead and use him up earlier on in the season, knowing that you know that, that he just came on so strong and those defenses just they had. I mean, he was out running teams and he was just bulldozing people. So my gut feeling says that there might be a chance that maybe people will drop him and be like, you know what, we're just not getting what we expected out of him. And maybe he's like a late, you know, a guy that you, that you could pick up later in the year that, you know, maybe his production slips to a certain extent. But I think one of the reasons why he might not get used early and he will get used late is the fact, you know, do I need him going ahead and punching it in on, uh, you know, say they're at the one yard line and it's first and 10 at the one. Do I need Henry to go ahead and take unneeded hits and pick up one yard? No, I could see, you know, some vulturing maybe happening with him because you want to protect your best asset. And obviously, you know, he he's, you know, he's just so valuable to that offense that I wouldn't be shocked if you see, you know, on the second and one and the, and the, and the, and the goal line, you know, where, where he doesn't have to go in and get his touchdowns. He's got his money. You know what I mean? It's not like, Oh, we need to get every, every touch out of this guy that we possibly can. Well, then you're just hurting him later on at the end of the season. So uh, I could see Henry starting slow, being limited with his touches. And then when it comes crunch time, you know, if Tennessee is in that position, well, then they can go ahead and then they could use him up. And but maybe, you know, people are just pissed off and be like, you know what, I'm getting, you know, getting this and getting that. And I'm not getting what I expected. And, you know, I used him last year and it was he was amazing and da 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 But, you know, I think there might be a situation where they do limit his, uh, exposure this year and, and, and his volume, uh, you know, for, for the for the, for the sake of, of his own good. And uh, maybe it'll benefit the team later on. Um, that's pretty much all I got there on Henry. Now, we do want to talk about a couple other running backs here. And we'll kind of do a little rapid fire here, Chris. And I'll throw a running back at you. You can tell me what you think. And then uh, we'll just go down the list and we'll, we'll tick off a couple guys. Chris, let's start our rapid fire running backs here. I'm going to throw a couple guys at you and I'll let you do the majority of the talking on, on most of these guys. Now I do have a couple guys that I do want to talk about specifically myself, but you know, a lot of the talk that we've had throughout the off season, at least on this podcast has been surrounded around Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Now we have a couple guys, I think the Hitman, maybe uncle Dave, um, they, they were talking offensive rookie of the year for that guy. But I'm curious what you've heard and what you've seen so far with him, you know, being integrated into that offense. Obviously, Williams won't be on that team. I believe he's actually opted out for the season. So it looks like Hilaire's going to have to step right in and be, you know, one of the primetime players for that Chiefs team. So what are you thinking about Hilaire for this year? Right. And you, and you mentioned Damian Williams. And, and really, when you're looking at all the COVID-19 opt-outs for uh, the upcoming season, and, and that was really the only one that had any meaningful impact in, in terms of how does it affect other skill players. And we're talking about running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, etc. And this is the one right here. It's Clyde Edwards-Alaire and the only uh, rookie running back drafted in the first round, albeit the last pick of the first round by the Kansas City Chiefs, who are pretty much returning everybody. I know they lost an offensive lineman. 
but they're pretty much returning a unit uh, intact, both on the offensive side and the defensive side. And this guy flashed major potential at LSU. I, I think that Clyde Edwards Lair that, you know, he has the, he, he's one of those guys where I wouldn't blame you if you took him in the top five of your running backs. I, I got him at running back in, in the third tier right now, which is a large tier. And it, it includes guys we talked about earlier, guys were buying like Kenyon Drake, Miles Sanders. I, I got him grouped with guys like Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, Zeke Elliott, because he's the type of workhorse back who has that passing game upside like we're stressing here. And, it, and it's kind of a theme where you need to be drafting running backs who have that potential to catch multiple passes a game who have the potential to consistently get five plus six plus targets a game and Clyde Edwards Hilaire is that type of guy and and shout out to one of our team members Dan Rivera here wrote wrote a great uh, piece about Clyde Edwards Hilaire when he was the best value to win offensive rookie of the year this was even before Damian Williams opted out so obviously the odds rose uh, insurmountably for him. So you're talking, I think it's even on the board right now between Joe Burrow and Clyde Edwards Solaire. But obviously, you're talking about a guy in the Chiefs who, if he gets the work and if he's a true workhorse in that backfield, then, then the sky is the limit for this guy. And, and if you're talking about dynasty, it's something we haven't really brought up much here on this podcast. Clyde Edwards Solaire, you could argue he's the number one overall pick over Christian McCaffrey, over Saquon Barkley. I did a dynasty mock draft with some fantasy analysts a few weeks ago. I had the number two overall pick. Without hesitation, I took Clyde Edwards Hilaire number two overall in that draft because of the future his career presents itself with the Chiefs. The only thing that bothers me slightly that could cap his upside, at least at the beginning of the season, is that they signed DeAndre Washington, who you know played second fiddle to Josh Jacobs last year, but DeAndre Washington actually played two seasons at Texas Tech with Patrick Mahomes, and if Andy Reid's going to rely on more of a veteran running back, if maybe the rookie Clyde can't get you know his feet right, so to, so to speak, with blocking, uh, you know, with finding certain holes, and th- that's the one thing that worries me about right out the gate. You spend such high draft capital on this guy, and he can't produce RB one level numbers. Let's say until midway through the season. That's my one red flag, but. I want shares of Clyde Edwards-Solaire. If I'm doing multiple drafts, I want him on at least one, two, three of my fantasy teams, depending on how many times I'm drafting this season. Now, here's a guy that last year, you know, he made a lot of noise, and it seems like, you know, that that it's been really, really quiet, and that's James Conner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know a lot of people just aren't drafting him all that high. Kind of want you to tell me, you know, why I should or why I shouldn't draft him. You know, with Big Ben coming back from his injury, we don't really know what we're going to get. And, you know, assuming that that Ben is is 100 percent, in some way, shape or form, I just don't think Ben's going to be, you know, the same guy that he once was. Now, I've heard reports that, you know, he looks just as good or better than he than he has in the past. One of the reasons because, you know, he's had ample amount of rest. But, you know, Connor, to me, you know, some people are taking him down in like the RB 20 area or at least, you know, he's listed as like a running back like 20. So. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I would probably take a little bit of a shot with Connor, you know, being maybe like the the fourth or fifth running back that I would put on my roster. But talk about Connor, you know, what a lot of people are saying about him right now, why they why a lot of people are just against him and maybe anything positive, because I, I feel that Connor might actually surprise again this year. Yeah, and the and the only negative thing you can say about Connor is his injuries. And and, and la- if you're going into last year when we were drafting for 2019, Connor was going off the board in the first round, and and that's how highly touted he was going going into last season. Obviously, big 
Big Ben goes down. Connor goes down. He has trouble staying on the field. I think he maybe played eight games at the most last season, and he he left the field during games as well, which just kills your fantasy weeks if you're relying on him as an RB1 or RB2 in your lineup. So James Connor, look, you're not getting him as the fourth or fifth running back on your team. His draft stock isn't going down that much, but it has gone down enough to where you can get him as your RB2, maybe your RB3. And in that case, you kind of shield yourself from that potential injury risk to where, okay, yeah, he goes down. I go to my bench. I plug in somebody else. But he is his he is that type of guy get, getting drafted around the 20s, like you said, who does offer that major top 10, top 5 upside. I mean, look, you know Mike Tomlin wants to feed the workhorse back. And they drafted Anthony McFarlane in the third round. But he's more of a, a kind of diminutive pass catching back at best. And I just don't see them going to guys like Benny Snell, Jalen Samuels. If James Conner can't stay healthy, it's going to be an ugly committee that you want no part of in fantasy. So I don't blame you for trying to get Conner. It looks like he's going off the board in rounds four, maybe round five, if you're lucky. Uh, I'd take a stab at him if he's going to be my RB2, RB3. Uh, if I'm going to draft him, I'm definitely trying to take another running back, maybe a round or two after just to give myself a little bit of padded depth and insurance because He's the one running back on this list, maybe besides Todd Gurley, where uh, injury prone, uh, that tag really comes into question for him. You know, I do think this is a year where Connor wants to go ahead and kind of shake that whole injury crap that's circling his name. And, you know, this could be, you know, this could be the year where, you know, he really livens up and and comes out and breaks out again. And he's like, you know, it was a a one-time deal, like where, you know, I, I just couldn't seem to get healthy. But, you know, this could be a year that, that really, sets him up for the rest of his career. So I, I would probably buy him um, more than anything. I think I would probably go after Connor. Uh, I, I just see that there's just too much value. I've seen that guy play before, and it's not like he doesn't know this team. And when you bring Ben back, you know, it's it's a situation where, you know, you had to play with without him for, for a decent amount of time. And as you were talking about that committee, you know, with, with those guys in that backfield, I just, I, I couldn't, Imagine those guys, you know, taking a lot of touches away from a guy like Connor. So um, I would be more leaning towards going ahead and grabbing him. When we talk about Todd Gurley, now obviously he's moved from the Rams. Now he's in Atlanta. A lot of people soured on Gurley, but I can make a statement. He was the number one player in the draft, you know, for a number of years. Um, That guy just absolutely destroyed everybody. If you didn't have him in your lineup, especially your DFS lineups, um, you weren't winning any of the leagues because, I mean, he's going for, you know, 30, 40, 50 points. I mean, that guy was – he was just deadly to, you know, anybody's roster if, if he didn't have them. So curious what you think about Gurley, what you think about his transition from the Rams to Atlanta. What do you think about him? Yeah, and, and I hate to talk about guys being injury-prone again. I don't even know if Gurley's injury-prone by that definition, but I think Gurley is just not healthy. And – we don't hear the words knee arthritis being discussed w- with other players in this league or degenerative knee arthritis or however you want to phrase that. Um, and that really worries me about Todd Gurley. Look, you, you could say, well, well, why didn't the Rams throw the ball to him last year? Because that's really where his ceiling was maximized the last couple of years. I mean, he single-handedly led teams to fantasy championships the year before, the year before that. Uh, you know, he was hands down the number one workhorse back in the NFL, but um, you know, you, you saw him slow down. And, and th- this was two seasons ago. You all remember when the Rams signed CJ Anderson in the playoffs and the whole speculation, they wound up scoring three points in the Super Bowl, and now we're here. Now the Rams have a, a 
season win total over under at eight, right? So um, obviously Todd Gurley in a new situation. He's in a great situation. And, and, you know, if all things go right and he stays on the field, I think he has opportunity to catch passes. He has opportunity to get goal line carries. Uh, I've got him grouped in the same tier as, as the guy we just talked about, James Conner. I got I got him uh, two spots lower than James Conner just because Conner has more explosiveness. Uh, I, I think he has less tread on his top tires. I think he's in more of a run-centric offense, whereas Todd Gurley, you know, the Falcons want to throw the ball. They want to throw a lot, and if he can't show that dynamic playmaking ability – catching passes out of the backfield, he's going to see passing down work to guys like Ito Smith, Brian Hill, Quadre Allison, guys that, yeah, they might not be big names in fantasy, but but they're going to get enough snaps on the field, I think, to limit Gurley's upside. So I, I love Gurley. I hope he gets healthier. I hope he stays on the field. But honestly, he's a guy I'm shying away from. I'm, I would only take him if he falls to me and gives me really high value, maybe as my third or fourth running back on my roster. I think at least for daily, he's a, he's a guy that a lot of people will be looking at. But I think for season long, you know, he's a guy that that could end up, you know, hurting people again if if they don't take him. You know, I'm going to go back to a lot of things that I thought about with Gurley. You know, probably over like the last year, and one of the things that sticks out to me is the fact that he gets this monster contract. He's the best player in the league. You know, he's he's down in the red zone. I mean, the guy was just lethal, and then he gets hurt and nothing ever really comes out about the actual injury. Then he plays in the Super Bowl and it's like, Oh, whatever the case might be, you know, he's not, he's not playing well. He's got this arthritis or whatever. And then he's out of town. It just smells really, really bad. Like I really think that there was something that had gone on with Gurley and the Rams where they butted heads with his health. And he was probably like, you guys have used me to go ahead and build this franchise up in LA to kind of, you know, like bring everybody to this team and you signed me to all this money. But I have a feeling that there was something there with an injury where, you know, it was kind of like a Kawhi Leonard situation where it was like, get out there and play. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to jeopardize my career. And I think Gurley is in that type of a situation where it was like, look, we won't disclose the injury. We won't say nothing. We're going to let you roll. And the Rams are going to save like 10.8 million of a bonus contract and they'll get something back for him. He's out of town. I don't actually think he actually liked being in LA. Uh, That's just not a football town. And he's from, you know, he's from the South. I mean, he's from, I think Baltimore, Maryland, but he played, you know, four years in Georgia. And if you really ever watched Gurley play when he was with the Rams, the guy just didn't seem happy. He didn't seem like he belonged there. He didn't seem like he was um, like a great fit, you know, for maybe that community. And that was one of the things that, that a lot of people said is, you know, he wasn't integrated into that community or whatever. And I know this from from being around, you know, plenty of people from down south is, you know, they're stuck in their roots and they and they have ways that they go about things. And if you disrespect them in any way, they'll just shut the door on you and be like, dude, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to talk to you. So I have a feeling there was something like that going on with Gurley. And now you're going to bring him to Atlanta, which is a great place for him. He knows Georgia. He has roots there. You know, he, I think he's going to be revitalized. And if his knee's okay, which I actually think that it might be, um, I think he's going to, he's in for maybe a big season. Now, will he run the ball a lot? You know, I don't think he will because I think the, um, you know, the outlook for his career is 
try not to use this guy up the way the Rams did. I mean, the Rams wanted to run that guy, you know, into the ground. And that's a mistake that a lot of teams make because they're trying to win the Super Bowl. And I get it. They didn't get that achieved, obviously. And I think that the Falcons will end up using him a ton down in the red zone, which, you know, he, he's a guy that, you know, that that's where everybody made their money with him. So I can see him getting his getting his touches, you know, maybe his 12, 14 rushes a game, but he's going to get his 8, 9, 10 targets a game too. So I wouldn't sleep on Gurley. I think Gurley is going to be a sleeper this year, and there's going to be a lot of people that are, that are trying to go ahead and, and get a hold of him some way, somehow. But, you know, if he's available, and especially, you know, in DFS, I'll, I'm going to be looking for Gurley because, you know, you have never been able to get a price on that guy. And, look, if he burns you the first week or two and you're like, all right, something's not right here, well, no big deal. That's one of the reasons why I would use him in DFS and, and maybe not draft him for, for season long because, you know, you could end up burning a roster spot, though. But that's what I think about Gurley. I like him. I think he's going to bounce back this year. I think there was a lot of turmoil going on in L.A., and I like the fact that he's in Atlanta. That's where his roots are at. And I think we're going to see a happy, healthy Todd Gurley this season. Yeah, I, I like I like how you put the positive spin on things, and and I hope for the best for him too because you know he he was on my fantasy team when he was straight just dominating the league two years ago. And and, and look, and Sleepy, you know this too, just from betting and also from a fantasy handicapping perspective, so to speak, is that when I go to watch the games on Sundays or, or I'm on the red zone, I'm watching almost every snap for the guys on my team, the guys I'm playing in DFS, the guys I got on my season long fantasy rosters. And I remember exactly where I was. And I remember the exact game of when Todd Gurley originally hurt his knee. I believe it was an overtime game or late fourth quarter game against the Detroit lions where the Rams eked out a victory. Todd Gurley went crazy he had to get treated on the sidelines, came back in, and then the next week after that was was that uh, highly touted Rams-Chiefs Monday night football game where they scored like 75 points. Todd Gurley had to leave that game early from injury. It was very disappointing if you had him on your team for that game in particular, and, and it was really all downhill from, from there. He had w- one game he came back on a Sunday night against the Eagles. He had 15 catches, so... I'm reminiscing a little bit, but I have that ingrained in my memory of the downslide of Todd Gurley. And if you just watch him play, he simply just doesn't have the explosiveness. Look, people say that the Rams didn't throw to the running backs last year because their offensive line was just that bad. Other people say that Gurley's knee, he isn't able to make those cuts upfield from a catch where he's more of like a plotter. You can give him the ball at the goal line. And that's what he's going to need to give value uh, with the Falcons. He's going to need those goal line carries. He's going to need a couple catches here and there. And I think he can pro- provide value that way. Uh, th- they have a subpar offensive line in Atlanta. I mean, Matt Ryan was pretty pretty roughed up last year and sacked a lot. But having said that, it's still a better offensive line than the Rams, which might be the worst in the entire league. So definitely upside for, for Gurley. Better position than he was last year. Uh, I got him at RB18 right now. He's kind of in that low-end RB2 range for me. All right, let's jump over to another guy. This is a guy that that I'm high on. Now, I've heard people against him. I've heard people for him. That's Leonard Fournette. Right now, I have him as my number nine running back on the draft board. So I'm curious what you think about Fournette this year. I, I like the fact that you got a guy like Minshew, but you also have, you know, you have an offense. There's just not a whole hell of a lot there. And I think Fournette's going to end up getting his workload. They're going to get what they can out of him this season. I'm, I'm inclined to go ahead and want to buy Fournette, but I do want to hear what you have to say. Anything positive, anything negative, give it to me straight. What do you think about Fournette? 
Oh yeah, Sleepy, we're gonna have to butt heads on this one, man. I don't know if we we might want to throw a pizza bet on the on the Betting Predators podcast here in terms of where Fournette's gonna finish because I got him well outside of my top ten. I, I've got Fournette actually at running back twenty right now, and I, I want to put him a little lower, but but then you start to get in that territory of, of guys who don't catch passes and who have limited roles like Raheem Mostert, Mark Ingram's, the David Montgomery's of the world. Um, I've got Fournette right in that tier six with Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Leonard Fournette, guys who have been there, done that, but they're just kind of not in their prime. They're not not in the best situations as they were before. And and Leonard Fournette's efficiency stats are are, are just absolutely terrible ever since he's been in the league. And and he's failed to convert a lot of opportunities near the goal line. Uh, you know, to the point where you, you can tell the guy struggles in certain situations. And, you know, the the one thing that, that he has going for him is the fact that the Jaguars could simply be tanking. You have negative game scripts galore. He's going to get just dump downs, dump downs from Gardner Minshew left and right. But Fournette has caused some locker room issues with the Jaguars, and he could be a guy where if you draft Fournette, you might actually benefit if he's on your team and he gets traded midseason because the Jaguars simply don't want to put up with him in his contract anymore. So he's a guy like a Kenyon Drake last year who got moved midseason, ha- had little to no value on the Dolphins, all of a sudden becomes an RB1 superstar in Arizona. Maybe a contending team trades for a guy like Fortnite who has that upside. Other than that, I just the, the situation's a little too messy. And it it kind of brings me to the point you made about why you're fading Deshaun Watson because of the, just the mess of, of the Texans and like, you know, who's going to sour on who first is it going to be the coach against the players going to be the player against the coach. And I, I've just seen way too much drama out of the four net camp to where I'm just not touching him. I don't, I don't care where he is in, in my draft. You, you got to rank him somewhere. And look, if, if, you know, I got him at RB 20, if all of a sudden 30 running backs are off the board and he's still there, I might consider at that point. I just don't think that's happening in any of my drafts. So He's a guy I'm staying away from, and uh, you know I, I think he's talented, but I, I think he brings a little bit too much baggage, and, and I think he's a little overrated from a talent perspective as well. All right, well, I'm not going to say you talked me out of that one. I think one of the one of the reasons I would still hang on to him is the fact that you know that the the coaches might just be looking at like they're we're building for the future, and look, Fournette's not going to be part of our future, but we have him for this year. You know, we can use him to go ahead and keep us in games and make us look good, you know, drive him into the ground, whatever the case might be. Hopefully he doesn't get hurt, and then they could dump him and get something in in return for him. I just wouldn't be surprised if we see him just getting a ton of work this year um, just because the coaches are looking to go ahead and rebuild and maybe build around the quarterback and and eventually, you know, just try to go ahead and and figure out that offense and, and try to run as much as they possibly can. That's just you know, a thought that I have with, you know, teams sometimes that are rebuilding, if they do have a a decent piece, especially a running back, sometimes they just get overworked and, and then they end up out of town. Let's jump to, why don't we talk about a Patriot? We haven't talked about any of the Patriot guys. We've got Sony Michelle. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's looking at being drafted, you know, right around the hundreds or 120. So curious what you think about Michelle. Now, obviously he's had some injuries. You still got James White on that team. What do you think about Sony this year? You think he takes a big leap forward or a big leap backwards? Well, he, he's uh, – I don't think he can go much much more backwards from where he was last season. And, and th- this isn't about whether I like Sony Michelle. It's whether or not I like Damian Harris. And he was their third-round draft pick from 2019 who barely saw the field even on special teams last season. But 
the guy's been getting some buzz out of training camp. And, and look, the, the news out of training camp as well has been a complete roller coaster ride for Sony Michelle. Reports last week were saying that he might start the season on the PUP list. And now coaches are saying that he's hopeful to be ready for week one. So, you know, it's really hard to trust the Bill Belichick running backs. We don't know what this offense is going to look like. We, we've seen headlines that they might be alternating quarterbacks during games between Stidham and Cam Newton. Well, I don't necessarily believe that myself. I just have a hard time believing that, you know, Sonny Michelle is not going to catch passes. You know, he's one of three running backs now with Damian Harris, with James White back there, with Cam Newton running, running the ball as well and stealing carries from the backfield. So unless you're playing in a, in a standard non-PPR league, uh, I'm, I'm not touching Sonny Michelle. If anything, I'm interested in Damian Harris. He's the type of guy, young, talented back. He's been getting a lot of reps in training camp. Uh, Bill Belichick said some semi-positive comments about him, and look, Damian Harris played at Alabama. He, he's he's kind of he's got that pedigree in that college DNA uh, playing in, the, in a high-profile school uh, with the Sooners. So I I, I just think uh, or with the Crimson Tide, excuse me. And I think he's he's the type of guy who who could get that one opportunity and just run with it for the rest of the season and, and be a workhorse back for them. So in terms of Damian Harris, I am willing to take him. As my RB3, RB4, uh, you know, he's been moving up my board a little bit. I've got him in my 10th tier with a rookie running back from the Bucks, Kashawn Vaughn, right around Lamar Miller. Let's not forget that the Patriots also signed him too. So, you know, it's a dart throw. You want to take another shot on Michelle, hoping he regains his glory. Do you want to take a shot on Lamar Miller, Miller getting his second ch- shot of redemption in New England? Or do you want to ch- take a ch- chance on the young buck, Damian Harris? If I had to pick out of, out of those three, I'd pick Damian Harris. Maybe in PPR, you're just safe for going off with James White. But I think I just want to stay away from the running back situation in New England as a whole in general this season. You know, I'm thinking about this as you're talking. And if, I mean, it, it, something something's not right with New England. I mean, you have, you know, 10 players opting out. And it just smells to me like it, it's, uh, you know, a year where they're not going to try to do a whole hell of a lot. And if there is, you know, player, if there are players on this roster that are going to be with the Patriots for years to come, you would think Harris would outlast a guy like Michelle. I wouldn't be shocked if Michelle gets a ton of usage this year, one, to boost up his stats, but two, you know, because the Patriots are going to end up on TV probably more often than not. And if it's like, oh, Sony Michelle's having a great year, but, you know, yeah, he ran the ball 27 times or whatever the case might be. Maybe there's some 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 value in him, you know, if they can get him out of town and end up going, all right, cool, we got something really good in return for this guy, used him up as much as possible, and now we're sitting with a running back like Harris who is fresh for years to come. I wouldn't be shocked if that's the type of approach that Belichick goes for because, you know, that's the type of coach that he is, and we know one thing that he loves to do is stack up draft picks, get rid of players for other players, and try to hold on to, you know, the best guys that he has that are going to end up eventually, you know, being able to execute what they do best and what Belichick needs them to do. So I wouldn't be shocked if Michelle ends up with this really, really good year. I don't think it'll be white. More than likely, it probably won't be him. But I think if there is one guy that they might use up and dump eventually, it might be Michelle. It's kind of just how I feel because the Patriots are just screwy with the way that they think and the way they do things. I wouldn't necessarily say screwy. You know, they're actually quite smart. So um, I'm just trying to think of what they may or may not do. And maybe for once, you know, maybe there is some hidden value with 
a Patriots running back. We'll do one more, Chris, before we go ahead and close out the running backs. Give me, you know, give me a sleeper, somebody that that maybe you think that could, uh, you know, could end up uh, erupting this year and and surprising a lot of people. Yeah, and and hat tip uh, to our boy uh, Tommy, uh, the Hitman. Uh, part of the betting predators team here for giving out one of his favorite player props for the season, which is Raheem Mostert under his rushing yards total for 2020. And that leads me into if Raheem Mostert's going under, who's going to be benefiting for his lack of opportunity in that backfield. And it's going to be who the, who, who the 49ers starting running back was last year before he got hurt and Coleman and, and uh, Mostert stepped in for Tevin Coleman. And Tevin Coleman and Kyle Shanahan have a huge history dating back to their days in Atlanta. Kyle Shanahan personally brought in and signed Coleman to a contract there. He wanted him to be a focal point of that offense. He's a bruiser. He can catch passes. He was the clear number one back. He he had a huge game last year. I, I don't know if – I think it might have been against Carolina where he went for like 200 yards and four touchdowns. And he just got banged up at the beginning of the year. He got banged up in the middle of the year. But he's a guy with the rapport with Kyle Shanahan and the way they run the ball and scheme things for their backs in San Francisco to where he might be the Raheem Mostert of last year. And if he stays healthy and he gets the passing game work, which Raheem Mostert didn't get, you're talking about a guy in Tevin Coleman who's getting drafted in some cases outside the top 30, 35 running backs. I've got him at RB 35, and frankly, I think I'm a little too low on him. And as we're doing these podcast episodes, I'm going to be making updates over this next week on bettingpredators.com to my tiers, to my rankings. And Tevin Coleman's a guy to where he could be the, the San Francisco 49ers starting running back, and you're getting him at an extremely discounted price. So I would say him, and if you want to take an even deeper uh, dart throw late round flyers, Jarek McKinnon. And, and he's a guy that the 49ers before Mostert, before Coleman, Kyle Shanahan specifically brought in Jarek McKinnon, signed him to a big contract that the dude had an unfortunate ACL tear in the preseason two years ago, but yet they haven't cut him. And reports out of training camp is he's making cuts well, and he's looking good. I hope he, he stays healthy because I love the guy. I took him in the second round of my draft two years ago. And unfortunately, the week after our draft, he gets hurt in practice and he's out for the year. Terrible luck, but he's another extremely talented back in San Francisco. So taking a mid-round dart throw and a guy like Tevin Coleman, a late-round dart throw and a guy like Jarek McKinnon, those are sleepers with really high upside that have a decent percent chance of actually getting work and getting opportunity this season. I really like both the, both those guys in fantasy this year. Yeah, the McKinnon has just been – he's just been a tough guy to go ahead and, and you know, get behind because of his injuries, but – you know, people just they've been drafting the hell out of him, you know, when it when it was available. So we'll see what happens. I think he'll be I think he'll be a big part of that offense this year because there's a reason why they brought him in. There is a reason, as you said, why they held on to him. Um and we've seen what 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 he's capable of. I mean, his years in Minnesota, I mean, he he was very productive. So um and then just to wrap it up, Sleepy is like the whole point we're talking about guys like Jarek McKinnon, where look, we know the injury history is there. We know the, the kind of road, the, the hill he has to climb, the road he has to travel to become a starter, to become fantasy relevant. But if this guy's, if you're getting this guy with the second to last pick of your draft, he's costing you nothing. He could go out in week one and get hurt or just lay a dud or not play at all or be a healthy scratch and you cut him. And that's what you use your roster flexibility for throughout the season is you got to take your last four to five picks and go extremely high upside guys 
to where if they don't pan out in week one and week two, you cut them, you pick up the hot names off the waiver wire, and you continually grind out your roster week to week and with the most upside possible. So I love the fact if I take four late-round dart throws on really high upside guys, let's say one of a, one out of the four hits, that, that that's great because then I got three empty roster spots that I can play the waivers with, make trades with, and all, and all different types of things like that. So I, I think keeping that in mind can go a long way towards the end of your draft strategy and taking these really high upside guys who you never know. If I'm getting the San Francisco 49ers starting running back in the second to last round, I'll take that all day. All right, guys, solid stuff there as we went ahead and we covered a bunch of running backs for you. I'm Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter, J underscore pregame. That's Chris Dell, fantasy football guru. You guys can get him at Mad Journalist. That is M-A-D-D journalist on twitter you can get us both on the bush sports betting information site on the web pregame.com that's i'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck enjoy the games